Hi everyone, welcome back to Confusion Confusions. I'm Gracia and I have Ashley with me and we are very excited to welcome you to episode 5 of our podcast, Chinese Takeout, Dragon Logos and Fortune Cookies. So in this week's episode, we'll basically be discussing about everything to do with Asian and Western food and how these two worlds collide. So we split our episode up into three parts to discuss. The first part that we wanted to talk about is actually the food appropriation of Asian food in the Western world. And our second part of our episode, we wanted to discuss about the franchising and commercialization of Western takeaway, Western fast food in the Asian world. Mm-hmm. And then our third part of our episode is basically we'll round up and discuss our opinions on food history in general, as well as why Asian food in general is very spicy. Yeah, okay, so I wanted to give you guys a background or like context to what we'll be discussing. So um, I'll be introducing to you one of the most famous examples of what we consider to be food appropriation, which is uh, Panda Express in America. So Panda Express is, uh, it markets itself as basically an entire category on its own within America, where it's not, uh, it doesn't want to be, or it doesn't want to emulate authentic Chinese food. Instead, it wants to create its own category of American Chinese food, which is Chinese food created by Chinese chefs that are catered to the American palate. So the history of American Chinese food in general is uh, the immigrants, the Ch- Asian immigrants, Asian Chinese immigrants, working, well, they started working in the West Coast and were often met with hostility and racial discrimination, especially when it came to their food. And mm-hmm. this led to many of them moving towards the East to uh, set up like Chinese restaurants. This is because in the East, right, such as in New York City, residents were generally more open to trying Chinese food as long as it was more catered to their palates. So for example, it's like less spicy or no spi- not spicy at all. So... In the end, many Chinese restaurants first opened up in, in cities like New York City. So, mm-hmm. um, for Panda Express specifically, right, one of the most famous dishes it created is called General So, which is, I think it's like a chicken and noodle dish, and it's an intrinsically American dish with Chinese roots. So, Panda Express and the dish General So, right, it's often criticized and mocked by, by, by its critics or like by Chinese Americans, right? Or even just Chinese travelers that try their food. It's criticized as being inauthentic and not reflective of authentic, like real Chinese food. And so the CEO or CMO of Panda Express, who's called Angela Chung, she actually, um, she actually reflected that like, uh, it, Panda Express isn't trying to like, um, serve you food that you would find in China. Instead, mm-hmm. it's trying to define its own category of American Chinese food. Yeah. What do you feel about Panda Express? Have you tried it? Mm, I've tried it before, but I think to me, like, Panda Express definitely isn't something that I would personally regard as Chinese food. It's... Mm. Mm, I think it's just very different compared to what we have back home. And I guess, mm. like, it really homogenizes Chinese food because... Um, in China, like food from each region is obviously has its own characteristic, but um, Panda Express 
just makes them all become like one type of food. And even like fortune cookies, which are so symbolic of Chinese American Chinese food now, there's actually a story where fortune cookies were first served by Makoto Hagiwara, which is a Japanese immigrant from San Francisco that first served fortune cookies in the late 1890s as a way of saying thank you to visitors who who went to the famous Japanese tea garden in Golden Gate Park, which he designed. And I feel like the fact that fortune cookies aren't even Chinese to begin with shows how there isn't just a homogenization of Chinese culture, but there's a homogenization of Asian culture in general. And um, I don't know, I feel like, do you, do you think that way too? Yeah, I think when I tried, like, uh, Panda Express, right, I mm-hmm. felt like it was odd to me that that is, like, the only experience of Asian or Chinese food of many Americans. Mm. And I understand that Panda Express is wildly successful in, in America. <laughs> and, and many, like, Americans, they enjoy Panda Express and they really like Chinese food. And it's because of a, a Panda Express prevalence in America that Mm -hmm. they are even exposed to try Chinese food. Yeah. So I think it's been successful in that sense. Mm -hmm. But also, I find it like, I don't know if it's like sad that it's like the only experience of Chinese food that they have. Mm. But I guess like, like, there always has to be something that like, introduces them to Chinese food. And I think, even though Panda Express isn't very authentic, it's like, a, like good first step like you need a first step yeah for sure I think like mm. because of Panda Express these people are now not only open to trying the food but they actually like Chinese food and mm. I think that's definitely very interesting but then I also feel like Asian culture in America because of these like things have become very insular and even like fetishized to some extent which is not directly linked to like food but then there's the stereotype of Asian women being like either like submissive and docile like the lotus blossoms mm-hmm. or like dangerous and cunning like the dragon ladies who use their sexuality as a weapon and like I feel like the blending of all of Asian cultures kind of only heightens the these like perceptions and it creates very like harmful stereotypes that a lot of people have yeah, I think one of the saddest part about Panda Express is that it generalizes Chinese culture. Mm-hmm. So Chinese culture is actually so diverse. Um, so I read this book. It's called, like, uh, it's called. Let me see. Yeah, uh, give me a second. Shark's fin and Sichuan pepper. Mm. Yeah. So basically, it's by a British. A traveler that went to China to study Chinese food, mm-hmm. and she wrote a book about her experiences there. Mm-hmm. Let me read you like a quote from, like some quotes from that book, mm. to show how like complex Chinese food actually is. Mm-hmm. So that they she describes China as having four great regional cuisines. In the north, there's the Grand Stately Culinary School of Beijing and Shandong Province. Mm-hmm. So this is the food of emperors and courtiers famed for its roast meats and unbelievably rich soups, as well as expensive delicacies like shark's fin. And then in the east, 
there's, there's the refined and subtle cooking of the literati, who mused about the pleasures of eating in cultural centres like Yangzhou and Hangzhou. So there, there's like drunken shims steeped in old Shaoxing wine. And then mm-hmm. in the south, there's the notoriously fresh food of the Cantonese. So fresh, it is almost alive. And then there's like the Sichuanese food, which is very spicy, obviously. And it doesn't require the extravagant raw ingredients like Cantonese or Shantong. Mm. Mm. So I think to me that shows like how complex and diverse just Chinese food alone can be. And Panda, it's like a pity that Panda Express generalizes that, I guess. Mm. Yeah. And like, while we're still on this point, I just want to use this opportunity to point out that there's a lot of Asian hate crime currently in the United States. Mm. And like, I wasn't, like, I, there was a statistic where in New York, the Asian hate crime actually increased by 1,500%, mm. which is incre- insane. And like, so many people have been killed already. So like, in our bio, we'll link to where you can like, find out more about these causes and like, support them if you yeah. also feel like, personally like, inclined to, yeah. Yeah, one thing also is that a lot of um, Chinese restaurants, American Chinese restaurants specifically, are being targeted in America. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so moving on to our next point, which is about um, the commercialization of food and how the Western world has kind of stepped into Asia we'll be discussing about like um, how sometimes the blending of cultures are actually positive. So for example, like the unique case of like McDonald's in Hong Kong is about how like a fast food chain actually studied cultural practices and used these insights to like popularize their brand. So contrary to the corporate goals of providing the full like breakfast, lunch, like menu, McDonald's entered the Hong Kong market as a purveyor of snacks. Because if you guys didn't know, Hong Kong is such a fast and rapid-moving country that meals meant that people would need a greater deal of time and money. And sometimes people just didn't have that in Hong Kong. And so McDonald's catered to these Cantonese urbanities, um, social culinary practices of meeting together over cheap small eats. And its basic menu of snacks successfully became a natural part of Hong Kong's culinary fabric without aiming to overtake its own classics. So the Big Mac doesn't hold a candle to blue crab and bean curd soup laced with ginger or red snapper braised in soy sauce with green onions. But it has its own like unique selling point which people are definitely drawn to. So what do you think about that? And like how do you see like McDonald's has been in our own country? Mm. So you read out also about that and so like other brands like other multinational brands like KFC mm. etc right they also um, adopt such a strategy which is called the localization right of their mm-hmm. products so for instance like KFC it brought like its chicken wings to China and then in different parts of China right like there's different feedback so for example in the Cantonese regions right like, the consumers found that the chicken was too spicy. And then in, like, mm-hmm. the Hunan, Sichuan re- region, they found the chicken 
to be too bland. So KFC mm. had to adapt their menus and their recipes to the taste buds of the consumers. Mm-hmm. And in turn, they also have to change, like, they have to adapt their supply chains and everything to make it mm-hmm. more local. So, for instance, like, their supply chains, they make sure that products are sourced in China and that, and because, and this, all these factors, right, like, localizing their food, their menu, their marketing strategy, everything, right, is linked to, like, the commercialization of the Western food, right? And mm. this is because, like, for example, sourcing their products in China, right, keeps their costs low. And, yeah, even though there are, like, specific exceptions to the rule of, because there are some, like, I think secret ingredients that KFC has to source from America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like, it's all linked to, like, commercialization. And one mm. thing I realized, right, is that actually Panda like or Panda Express, right, and KFC and McDonald's strategies, they're actually similar. Like, I didn't think about this before, but I realized now that they're actually like almost opposite of each other. Like, KFC and McDonald's is like they adapt um the Western food to Asian taste, and then mm-hmm. Panda Express is adapting Asian food to American taste. Mm. However, our perception of like the Western brands, right? Is much more positive, even though they're actually doing the same thing as Panda Express. Like when you see mm-hmm. KFC, KFC and McDonald's adapting to Asian taste, right? We perceive it as mm-hmm. like radical, innovative approach, right? Yeah. But when we when but when Panda Express adapts like Chinese food to American taste buds, we see it as like an appropriation almost. Or like inauthentic. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought of that, but that was interesting. Mm. Yeah, I think like um, last week we talked about colonialism and I feel like this is also like a subtle after effect of colonialism because it creates this like hierarchy where the Western culture is always superior to like Asian culture. Mm. And I feel like in these like mindsets that we have, it just shows how like deeply etched mm. it is. And like just now you mentioned like the secret ingredient that KFC has. I actually read up about it online and then so many brands like Coca-Cola and like the Big Mac sauce use like the idea of a secret formula to draw consumers in and mm. it's almost like a form of deception and I think like other than that right like the chocolate producers also use deception to like really like heighten their profits like mm. in Hershey's and Kit Kat there's if you look carefully at the packaging it doesn't just say chocolate it says made with chocolate or chocolate flavored which shows that there isn't even enough cocoa content for it to be chocolate because cocoa is actually really expensive and because they haven't hit the cocoa content um, rule administered by the food and drug administration in u.s so they're not able to make it so the chocolate we eat may not even be real chocolate wow Mm. so i thought that was like pretty Mm. interesting Mm. Something I realized is like the like KFC and McDonald's, right? Like like it's perceived like in a much better light compared to Panda Express. Mm-hmm. And like the reason is like KFC and M- McDonald's, right? Okay, I think there's like a lot of 
uh, emphasis put on Chinese food, right? That has to be authentic compared to like um, KFC and McDonald's, right? Which is more perceived as more like global brands. Mm. So the Western food, right? Is pers- is like is like globalized almost like because it's so etched in like globalization, like KFC, McDonald's, Coca Cola, everything. Mm. It's like a hallmark of Americanization and modernity, which is perceived to be like a positive thing. So when KFC and McDonald's introduced in like Asian countries, right, it's like almost like an introduction of like globalization, modernity. But mm. when Panda Express is being introduced to the American consumers, right, it's almost like because Chinese food, like something, there's a big emphasis on the authenticity of it. Like when mm. you go to a Chinese restaurant, right, you expect the waiters to be Chinese, the cooks to be Chinese, mm. right? If not, you might view it as inauthentic. So it carries like the weight of Chinese culture, I guess. Yeah, I think that's just stereotypes that we, or like thoughts and mindsets that we associate with Chinese food, is that it mm. has to be authentic and has to be prepared by a Chinese chef. Yeah. Mm. I think also because McDonald's is, or like fast food in general, is mm. associated with like the idea of being like convenient and like casual. Yeah. It kind of reduces the burden so like a lot. Like so we kind of excuse if it doesn't like taste as good as like a restaurant or something like that. We're mm. just like Yeah. Even though Panda Express is also a fast food chain, right? Yeah. Mm. But it isn't like really marketed as Yeah. Right. It's more yeah. marketed as a almost like a family restaurant kind of. Yeah. Okay. So the next thing we wanted to talk about is um our perceptions, like we wanted to round out our perceptions on Asian food, right? Mm-hmm. And a question that we had was why is Asian food so spicy? Mm. So um I actually researched this, right? And I've been reading up a lot on um like Asian food, Chinese food specifically, like uh, for instance, like the Sichuan pepper book that I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. So, for me, I realised that, like, a lot of it has to do with the history of food and the culture. Because food is, like, it's almost like we have a culture. It's, like, culinary culture. Like, for us, like, Chinese food is passed down from, like, generations before. And yeah. it's linked to, like, the trade, the root, the, the trade routes that, like, traders took. Mm. our culture is developed because of food history and as a result this like uh, ingrains like expectations of how food should be to us so um, for instance in China right we, I, I was thinking about how like why certain parts of China they normalize having much more spicy food compared to other parts so for instance they're actually like more landlocked so they're in the cent- like near the center of China they're not at the coastal regions mm-hmm. and they tend to favor like very spicy food compared to um, like Guangdong and Zhejiang which is at the coastal regions so um, this is despite chilies actually arriving first in China through the coastal regions Mm. So they they eschew, 
as children are spies in their cuisine. But in Honan and Sichuan, right, which is like the spice rivals, chilies are actually an integral part of their local culture and, and lingo. So the reason for this is actually um, like, number one is like a lot of food historians, they link it to the climate of the region. So Hunan, Hunan and Sichuan are more humid climates. Mm-hmm. And then another reason, right, is also like, I think I read somewhere that like, uh, the Sichuan area, right, because they do not have access to, like, the co- the coastal, like, seafood, right? So they use um, spices to enhance the flavours of their food. Mm. Yeah. And so, actually, the history of chilli peppers is that it came from the America, so, like, Mexi- originally in Mexico, and then it was brought to Africa, Asia, and Europe soon after. And then, it, uh, it thrived in the humid climates of Southeast Asia, China, and Asia compared to in Europe, mm-hmm. which is why um, there's like much more spicy food in like the Asian regions compared to in Europe. Yeah, and then... Um, so it actually started appearing in the market and bazaars of the Indian Ocean trading ports and it spread to South Asia from... India basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think like, even though like the spiciness of the food is like rooted in like geographical and practical reasons, it's become so deeply etched in their culture that the ability to tolerate spice has al- almost become like something to be pr- proud about, I guess. Mm. And I feel like it's quite similar in Singapore as well. Yeah, so like humans are one of the only like Mm, I want the only species that have like culinary culture mm-hmm. so it's actually I read that it's actually knowledge that is socially transmitted generationally and is resistant mm-hmm. to change although it maintains like a gradual incorporation of new food items so it allows mm-hmm. like us to introduce new foods like for example chili right slowly without losing the distinctive mm-hmm. flavour that makes each culinary cuisine unique so I found it interesting that it's like a social phenomenon. Like culture, like culinary culture, right, is what makes us like human. And mm. so the introduction of spicy foods into a culture that is not used to it might be more difficult. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So I, we were actually thinking about a question of like, in Singapore specifically, right, do you mm-hmm. think like, um, like having a spice tolerance makes you Singaporean because we, we see it as like a Chinese or Asian trait right do you think it makes you Singaporean specifically mm, I think it doesn't really make you Singaporean but it makes you more Asian because I mm. feel like the like chili is normally associated with an Asian palette but I guess, like, the idea of, like, cream-based food or, like, non-spicy food has, like, a Western association with it. Mm. So, I guess people in Singapore who cannot handle spice are also, because of that, feel more westernized. Mm. So, like, people that 
have a high spice tolerance, right, often perceive people with a lower spice tolerance as being more westernized. Yeah. And almost, like, less Asian, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a stereotype. Like, definitely, like, it exists. Like, mm. I think it's also, like, people that have high spice tolerance, they'll question why, like, like, the people with lower spice tolerance don't dare to try spicy food. Mm. And, like, I've noticed that spicy food is actually, like, a lifestyle in that people who like spice add it to everything. Like, when in Chinese restaurants, like, their first request will be for, like, cut chili, and then they douse their, like, rice with, like, sambal Mm. and add copious amounts of chili flakes and Tabasco to, like, their, like, pasta. Mm. So it's almost, like, it's like it's like a culture on its own, right? Yeah. It's like a sense of solidarity when you see someone else yeah. do it. Yeah. But also like I don't know if you had this practice when you were younger, but in my family, like they kind of started like training my spice oh, tolerance yes. when I was young. Hmm. So like how did your parents do that? I think they also introduced spicy food to me and like I think I liked it from the start. Yeah, oh. I don't really remember not being able to eat spicy food. I've always liked spicy food. But I think this is an example of, like, how culture, like, culinary culture is generally generationally passed down. Because your parents eat Chinese mm. food, right? Then they would similarly expect you to be able to eat it as well. Because they enjoy it. So they want you to, like, have an experience. Mm. Able. It's like something they want to share yeah, with you. So this is how, like, culinary culture is being passed down and I wonder if like mm-hmm. families like people who don't eat spicy food is it, is it because like their families like don't eat spicy food as well or is it like yeah because like we like it's like ch- spicy food in general is I think it's one of the more like prominent examples of culinary culture just because it's so obvious like whether or not you eat Chinese food uh, spicy food is like a yes or a no thing you know mm. yeah Another food, other foods also, like, include durian. Like, where oh. it's, like, an, it, what is it called? It's called, uh, it's, like, you, an acquired taste, basically. So, it's almost, yeah. like, you have to train to eat it from young, right? To be able to accept it I, more readily. I feel like you either, like, really like it or you really dislike it. Yeah, I think so. But I think, I don't know. If you never tried it from young, you will definitely most likely dislike it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, mm, so I think that's all we have for today. If you guys have any like opinions about this topic, do let us know through our Instagram. And on next week, we'll be discussing on the whirlpool of consumerism, where we will have a special guest speaking with us. So look forward to that. And you, as, as always, you can find our podcast on Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast streaming platforms. Thank you and see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.